Welcome to the Attentive Heart Podcast, where we explore how an integration of mind, body, and spirit make us whole and enable us to become more compassionate to ourselves and to others. I'm your host, John Grabovich. So you have this, you have this overwhelming experience of, you know, realizing, look, I'm not the happiness that I've been seeking in these relationships, with these girls while legitimate and, you know, yeah. your, uh, yeah. was, was not ultimately uh, your calling. And, and somehow, somehow you're, you're getting the sense that actually the priesthood is, but then you yeah. don't, you don't make any moves for three years. What, what, what happens there? Well, I, 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 had, I was faced with another challenge because my dad, who was still alive, um, he had a traumatic heart attack when I was teaching, when I was working at the museum. And I went down to New Jersey where he was living at the time, and he had to get a triple bypass. And that was kind of like the beginning of the end, so to speak, with his life, because after that, his memory and just went it went was went. I don't know how to say it. It just, it just started to kind of go, go away almost. Or I mean, he just was struggling with that. Yeah. And I think that like, um, I most would say that it might be somehow even connected to the fact that you're put under 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 for so long. You know, the whole anesthesia and things like that. But, uh, so I so I had to kind of then be cognizant of taking care of him, and um. That led me to think that, okay, it might be better for me to go back to Pennsylvania and then try to take care of him, move him closer to me. And I went back for a third stint to the high school I was teaching at in Pennsylvania. But I did go back uh, with a different vision for what I was going to do there. And that was going to do something more with service learning. I went to kind of create a, a program there that would get the students involved in doing um really social ministry in the city of allentown um the school was a very very unique in that it was located right in the city but most of the students came from the suburbs and i was trying to get the students from the suburbs to interact more with the different needs of the city because it was it was a rough area there was a lot of poverty and lots, lots of other things going on there um so that was my third stint at the school and then i coupled that with also taking care of my my dad and um, I stayed there from the fall of 2009, I think it was. I think it was, yeah. And until the spring of 2012. And uh, at, by that point, I had got my dad settled in an assistant living situation in Pennsylvania. So I felt a little bit more comfortable with him being there. And um, it was at that point where it all kind of came together. I, by that point, I had I had lived in New York for a substantial amount of time. I experienced Brooklyn. Um, I had the whole experience once again in Venice that I'm not gonna be happy unless I'm a priest. I feel like my my I brought my dad to a place where he at least felt comfortable. So that's when I actually pulled the trigger and went to, to study for the priesthood for the Diocese of Brooklyn. But and then actually, by the way, my dad ended up passing away in December of 2012. Um, so 10 years ago, 
And um, at that point, I was already in in a um, in, in a formation place with the diocese at that point. Okay, so a few years in seminary, and then you become a priest. And... Yeah, just like that. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to. I mean, do you, were, did you? Were, so, are, are there moments there that you know where your faith was um, challenged? Or I guess I, I what I kind of want to know. Well, we, maybe why don't you bring us all the way up to speed before before we get into that? I, so there is there is some more interesting things that happen I know in your life, uh, especially more recently. But so well, bring us through seminary and priesthood. Yeah, I mean, seminary was was very difficult for me. I mean, I it was. I think of all the experiences I've had in my life, it was a, perhaps one of the uh, the least uh, favorable experience, or you know, one one of my least pleasant experiences. <laughs> why, why, why is that? Well, I mean, you know, you, you're there. I mean, you, you, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm like whatever, 33, 34, or something like that. Um, most of the seminarians are about ten years younger than me. It it, it was difficult for me because. Uh, you know, I had a lot of life experience. I mean, and I'm not saying that makes me better. It just makes me different, right? I mean, so, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're always with younger people and who didn't have the same experiences and you're just kind of like, wow, I, I don't know if I can really relate with where you are. Um, and, and you try to understand that, well, what does relate you with everyone is that you all feel called to be a priest, right? So, if anything, that would be the great unifier. But I just didn't really have that that experience. I mean, I did meet some good guys there who I'm still friends to with this day. So I don't want to kind of belittle those relationships that I did develop because they were very meaningful relationships. But you know, it, it was just a different place for me with the other guys. And um, but fortunately, I had great mentors during the seminary. You know, really amazing priests who were mentoring me. Um, and helping me get through the whole experience. And especially once I became a deacon, that's when I met uh, Father Bill Smith, who you know. I mean, I was the deacon at his parish, which was a black parish in Queens. And uh, so, I mean, I, if there's one ingredient that's always been in my life is that God has always given me amazing people to latch onto, to be profound sources of strength, mentorship, and family. I mean, mm. I, I just don't know how I could do it without, you know, the different people who, who were just so willing to, um, to take me in, you know? And so that's how I got through the seminary. But, you know, it did, it did expose me to um, seminary culture, which I think is, well, I, just to be honest, I think it's a very highly prob problematic culture. I mean, it's a little bit too prepackaged, too pampered, too everything provided for you. I mean, like I said, when you're someone who's lived on their own and had to figure out, you know, where to live and how to pay rent and have bills, I mean, to be in, in a place where everything is provided, I mean, it was a very, very difficult thing for me to be able to accept. And I think also, too, I mean, um, I, I, I had a great compassion for the people in the seminary because I think that, you know, a lot of these guys were were dealing with wounds from their from their childhood, from their past, um, as we all are. So I don't want to say that, like, once again, this is not me saying I felt like I was better. I just felt different, and it exposed me to 
what I would say are the problems of priestly formation and also showed me um, a profound sense of compassion for people in, in seminary formation, let's put that way. Okay, so now you're a priest. What's life okay. like? Um, yeah, my first assignment was a parish in Queens, you know, as an assistant, and um, threw myself into the whole thing because I thought that's, you know, kind of what you, you what you do. And I, I quickly became friends with this one guy who would do communion calls, sick calls. And so I would just travel with him usually about two or three days a week. And we would just go visit all these different people at their homes, which was a very beautiful thing for me to do because it wasn't something that I was just drawn to do. Like I, it wasn't like I was all excited about doing it because it, it takes a certain, like a tremendous amount of, um, you know, death to self to do things like that because you know, you know that your schedule is very busy. You know that you always have something to do. And when you go visit people, their schedule is not busy. They have nothing to do. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so they want to be able to spend like as long as possible, as long as you. possible with you. And you're like, I got to get to the next place. I got to get the next place. So it's like constantly a death to self. Like, how do you just give people the gift of time? Because I do believe that is the most profound gift that you can give mm -hmm. to someone is the gift of your time. So that would it was great, you know, and, and plus also too, I mean, I, you know, I saw so many people living in such horrific um, con conditions. I mean, absolutely horrific. Um, you know, just just dealing with hoarding, for example, just how unclean certain places were. I mean, wondering how often people were bathing. I mean, it, it was, it took you to the projects. It took me to people who were living in houses that go back generations. So I, I met so many different people who were almost like literally carrying all their wounds with them. And um, so it was very eye-opening. And it also tried to push me to figure out how to how to practically serve people in those situations too. I mean, there's one thing to kind of pray and there's one thing to bring the, bring communion, but like, you know, it exposed me to like the social services within the church and within the city of New York. Like, how do you help people? Um, so that, that took a lot of my time, I would say when I was first ordained and, um, and I, I definitely found joy in it. I also, didn't really know if that I was really good at it. I don't, I mean, I didn't know if it was like my thing, so to speak. I mean, it's something I could do, but I didn't know if it was the thing I was supposed to do. And eventually they made you a pastor. <laughs> There's a lot of things between that. <laughs> <laughs> well, bring us there. What else? Well, happened? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that, that were happening. I, I will say when I was a seminarian, one of the, the best things I did as a seminarian was I went on a week-long retreat at Gethsemane in Kentucky, um, which was a monastery, a Trappist monastery, where uh, Thomas Merton lived. And so a famous uh, Catholic Trappist monk from the 20th century. And that's not your first time going on retreat at a Trappist monastery, right? No. No, because I had gone on retreats at a Trappist monastery in upstate New York, the Abbey of the Genesee, which was a what they call a daughter house from Gethsemane, meaning that it was founded by them huh. um, in the 1950s. But Gethsemane goes back to the 19th century. 
And, um, and honestly, I went on this retreat, not so much because I want to go on retreat, because I could have gone on retreat anywhere. But it to me it was like a field trip to see where Merton lived. Uh, but by that point, I had already been introduced to his works, his writings. I thought he was a very fascinating person. Um, so I thought, well, it'd be kind of neat to see where he lived. But I did not realize what a spiritual transformation that retreat would be for me. Because the thing that it brought me into was praying the liturgy of the hours in a way that I had never prayed them before. And I mean, I had already known about what they were. I was praying them, these different Psalms at different times of the day. I mean, going back to my days in high school, I mean, I had exposure to that. And clearly I had, I had been at monasteries before, but for some reason, the rhythm of the prayer at Gethsemane captivated me. And I remember just going to every single prayer meeting every time they would, they would meet for prayer early in the morning to, you know, the last time in the evening. And um, I was with other seminarians and none of the other seminarians were, were at least uh, I would say that excitable about it as I was. So I, I was somehow drawn to what this whole contemplative thing was all about. And I'd had no clue what that really meant other than this public recitation of the Psalms and the liturgy of the hours and of course, I knew that the Trappists had a work schedule too. That they, that, and down there at the time, they were producing cheese and fruitcakes and things like that. So I knew they had an industry. But there was something about that rhythm of the prayer and how it was, seemed to be just kind of naturally incorporated into the daily rhythm of life that I wanted. And um, it kind of then, it's, it started to haunt me. And I went through the whole thing of, becoming a priest, because I remember thinking like, maybe I'm supposed to be a monk, you know, but I, I had no, I had no way of thinking that that was a legitimate thing to do at that point. So I, I went and became a priest, a Dawson priest. But I, um, it, it didn't leave me, the contemplative side did not leave me. And I didn't know how to kind of groom that better. Other than, you know, talking to people, reading different books, reading more of Merton, um, and reestablishing my relationship with the Trappists in Genesee, thinking that, okay, that was, that was a retreat place that I that had been to back in the 90s. I mean, the 90s are really like where everything was firing. There was a priest who actually brought me to look at Genesee. It was 1993 or 1994, actually. And, um, you know, subsequently, this is like a sidebar, but like that priest actually got in trouble during this whole sex abuse scandal stuff. Um, and looking back, I was probably being groomed by this guy, you know, but um, wow. it's amazing that even in the midst of something as horrific as that, that God still does his, does his thing. God still does, God still is God. And he reveals something. Um, and he revealed to me my first, um, experience of the contemplative life through this through this very wounded priest anyway so i reestablished these connections with that that monastery in genesee and um i just kept on feeling more and more drawn to maybe i need to kind of spend more time there and perhaps even discern there but it kind of all got a little sidetracked because i met you <laughs> oh. and and i met you of course in the context of the sales media Anyway, so uh, 
the whole the sales thing was was something that that came out of the blue um and trying to work for this catholic media company and honestly like i did i was not really excited about it like i i didn't really think like i should do it but i also did not know how not to do it like i was like i was like i don't i don't know how to necessarily get out of this necessarily um you pulled in people think yeah. you're the right guy you're intrigued by some things some aspects right definitely definitely if i if i was not intrigued by it at all then i would have been like okay this is this is totally the wrong connect mm -hmm. wrong thing but i thought well this could be a real opportunity to do something really good so why not um and also i did not know that part of that whole deal was being sent back to go to school to learn something in order to be able to play a, a role in leading the organization and that's what got me to berkeley in california um which in and of itself is a, a i think a, a really profound story um you know when i was initially teaching after college um and actually after my first stint in the in the seminary i was teaching at a high school in allentown pennsylvania and uh, that's where i really became friends with a family that became like an adopted family to me and um one of their daughters who's a, like a sister to me she was living in san francisco and i was visiting her because I, I would visit her usually in the summers and when this whole the sales media thing was going on it was her who said hey you know why don't if you have to go to school why do you try to go to school out here you know there's a lot of things happening as far as technology a lot of creativity and you could kind of maybe bring that back to the whole experience at the sales and i was like well that sounds awesome and plus i was so fascinated with being on the west coast at that point so I got into the program at Berkeley in the business school. And once again, it was this other very life-changing moment for me. So here I am as a priest in a cohort of 70 some people, you know, and a whole different way of living uh, my vocation. People not who are, I mean, I don't, there was like maybe a handful of people who are Catholic who would really understand really what a priest is. Most people just had ideas of what a priest was from like TV or something. Um, so being in this kind of culture for me was, was amazing. And I think it really, in some ways, got me excited about the vocation of being a priest again. Um, I think I was feeling a little bit like kind of institutionalized as a priest by this point. So being with just uh, quote unquote, normal people, <laughs> kind of, uh, got me more grounded again. And once that happened, um, I kind of felt like, okay, well, I got this whole contemplative thing going on. And now I have this whole thing where I'm like engaging with people who aren't even Catholic going on. Um, so this whole type of um, experience just kind of drew me into like thinking that, well, maybe God's called me to be a special calling me to like a vocation within a vocation let's put it that way and um once i wrapped up the program at berkeley i was like well i think i should go into the monastery and explore more about what this whole contemplative thing is as a monk but i also <laughs> i had a hard time leaving the west coast i had a hard time leaving the culture i was in with the people that i was with and i think that i realized i also thrived in that context too. So I was thriving in 
in deepening this whole contemplative experience of trying to be quiet with God, to try to integrate a rhythm of prayer, to try to be able to see the, the beauty of, of just simple work, but then also realizing that this is this, this other part of me that just really enjoys being with people, especially with people who um, are um, on a journey and, and they know they're on a journey and they're searching and um, they don't feel as if they have the answers. You know, I think that a lot of the things that I've had a problem with, with being a par in a parish is that, yeah, of course you had people who were on a journey and they were, you know, spiritually seeking things, but you know, they had already parked themselves in the church. So, you know, they almost felt as if they, they had like all the answers by just being a Catholic. And it, to me, that's a harder type of place for me to personally minister within. I don't think that it doesn't need ministry. It's just a hard place for me to, to, to minister in. Yeah. Which is interesting. You know, yeah. I was, I was reading um, <clears throat> the section of Lumen Gentium, one of the Vatican II documents on the laity uh, recently. Yeah. And it was talking yeah. about how, <clears throat> you know, kind of the generally the way, the way that the roles are defined is that the priests, you know, priests will minister to, the faithful and the faithful will then minister to others, uh, you know, outside the church. Right. And you're kind of talking about being a priest who <clears throat> skips that step almost. Right. And, and, and largely goes outside the church. Or, or yeah. To. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll tell you that that does cause a little bit of like a, um, a vocational crisis of sorts, not, not in the sense that you don't want to be a priest, but it's like, am I more into like, doing the vocation of the laity than the laity of the priest. I mean, cause like you said, I mean, the laity is able to kind of um, bring God to others in places that the, the, the priest cannot. I mean, the priest is the one who brings God to, to people within the context of the actual institution, right? With it, within the parish life, within the sacramental life. Mm -hmm. But you know, for me, it's, I was very much taken already by that point by different examples of priests, like the worker priest movement and, and other ones who seem to kind of just like um, fade into the woodwork, so to speak, within the world. And um, we're offering a different, uh, a different sense of the priesthood for people, you know, who would not have experienced the priesthood because they weren't going to the church or they weren't Catholic, you know? So anyway, it, it is, it, it is, it is interesting. And I often say that, you know, the greatest threat to going down this path, of course, is spiritual pride. Like, you know, who do, who do I think I am to think like I can do this differently or better or in some type of way that makes more sense for the times. Um, but on the same token, you know, I think anyone who's felt some type of prophetic pulse in their life um, also feels like they can't not do that either, that they have to do something that's different, that's not um, part of what seems to be normative. So it's always this kind of discernment battle of like, where's your ego? Where's your pride? Versus what is the prophetic call within your life? Um, and how how radically are you going to, you know, follow that? So I, I, I think that's, that's kind of where I am right now. I mean, I can go more into that, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you are uh, a priest of the diocese of Brooklyn living 
as a high school teacher in the, in the diet archdiocese of San Francisco. As far as right. I, I, mean, I, I mean, there you go. Right. I mean, that, why not? Why not? You know? Um, yeah. It, I, it was me kind of going exploring monasteries that led me back to California, spending time with a group of monks in the Big Sur, the Commodities Monastery, New Commodities. Um, and, uh, you know, once again, reconnecting with a little bit of my network out here and finding a, a position at a Catholic high school here in San Francisco. And it just seemed to be the right move, although I was scared to death about it, too. I was thinking, what the heck am I doing? I mean, like, I, I took a leave of absence to explore monasteries, and now I'm taking a teaching position. I felt like I was going almost backwards with my life, thinking, like, I'm just doing something I'm comfortable with. But, you know, the whole experience has been just profound because it's taken me to a place I've, I've never been. Um, it's been amazing kind of carving out a little hermitage, so to speak, here in San Francisco in a little studio apartment, a 10-minute walk away from work. And then once again, teaching and just reconnecting with, once again, the, the people of the world who are... Um, on a journey and high school students clearly are on a journey and the high school students today are very different than the high school students I was teaching 10 years ago. Um, there's really no sense of um, institutional church playing a role in, in the lives of high school students. But there is a spiritual search, there's a spiritual hunger, and I don't know if that, a lot of times they can even really articulate it that way, but it's fun to be able to be uh, part of watching that and hopefully offering something along the way too. So it's been neat teaching. It's been neat being a priest in this environment. And for me personally, once again, I'm encountering people who are just drawing me deeper and deeper into the love, the mercy, the compassion of God. So I look at the people I work with now as being another group of, of mentors, another group of family. So it, it I'm, I'm extremely blessed and extremely rich. I, I, I don't know what I did to deserve any of this, but I also think that, hmm, there must be some type of thing that God has me on here to do, and I want to be as faithful to that as possible and to not let my spiritual pride and ego get in the way. But I think one of the beauties of having mentors and people in your life is that they're the ones who call you out, and I have a lot of people calling me out. Um, but um, But I've also been blessed I would say by being a diocesan priest in Brooklyn and being able to be trusted to uh, explore this. I mean, I mean, I, I can't, I don't know if I would have been able to do that anywhere else. I mean, so I just got really blessed by people trusting me. Mm -hmm. So do you think that's a takeaway for us today that, that, you know, um, you know, when it comes to accompanying others, uh, we've got to extend uh, a level of trust to them that they that they do know what's going what's what might be best or or hopefully that God's showing them that way and that they might be you know uh, willing to follow that path yeah i mean i think if there's any takeaway it's just that you know there is a living god in our mists and that god reveals um his presence in and through the people that we meet I, I think I always come back to this. I know we've talked about this so many different ways. 
I've always been, uh, or I mean, at least since my days in college, captivated by by Dorothy Day and her, you know, room for Christ. You know, she's the one who first gave me this this radical understanding that Jesus Christ is actually present in the other, uh, most especially the person that we don't want to pay attention to. Um, just as radical as Jesus Christ is present in what appears to be bread and wine, it's that same dynamic happening in the other person, every single person. It's the same reality even. It's, it's not even, uh, I don't even think it's even a different mode necessarily. It's the same reality. It's the same way of encountering the hidden presence of Christ in the world. And I think that the more attuned you are to that, uh, there's life is becomes very easy to live actually, um, and and very exciting because everything now it's this pilgrimage where you don't even know where you're going, but you know that you have everything you need when you need it, and everything just presents itself because your eyes have been opened in a certain way, your ears listen in a certain way, your heart wants to receive in a certain way, your vulnerability is opened so that you're your mind is able to be open-minded, so to speak, uh, to what's coming your way. So, you know, I, I look at my life and say, thank God for this tremendous formation I had in just kind of knowing the whole idea of God so that I'd be ready to be able to live the whole uh, spiritual life in and through that same God, you know, the God who is Jesus Christ. Um, it's been a really an amazing and fun journey. And by the way, the, the, the Catholic worker movement, I think is really the thing that's really kind of been the, the glue in all of this. Um, definitely from my first exposure to learning about Dorothy Day to then me becoming extremely friendly with uh, two people who were professors of mine in college uh, that led me to on a path of uh, risking it all and taking the money that I got once my dad passed away and, and buying a Catholic worker, what became a Catholic worker farm in Pennsylvania. Uh, so like another sidebar of my life, throwing myself into a different type of adventure there. Um, so like all this kind of stuff, I mean, it's it's in some ways it seems all disjointed. In other ways, it just all seems completely connected um, because the pilgrimage is a is clearly a, a path that's taking you somewhere, but since you don't really know which corner you're going to be turning on, it may just seem so random. But you know, as Mother Teresa always, always said, that you know God writes straight with crooked lines, and uh, I almost feel as if my life is a living proof of that. Your life is also a testament to the power of uh, pursuing vo your vocation. To, to know really what God has put you here for as a witness to his greater glory. I mean, I, and that's, I'm not trying to fluff it. And, you know, this is, I really do. Um, it's very easy, you know, speaking of seeing Christ in the other, it's very easy to see Christ in you. Um, you, you don't hide it at all. And I think that's because you, uh, you know why you were put here. Well, I don't know if I know why I was put here, but I know that I've been put here. You know, I mean, like, I try to always tell my students, I'm like, you know, you didn't choose to be born. You don't know how long you're here. You know, life is about being a participant 
not about orchestrating anything, you know, because you, the, the very thing that you think you're in control of something, but the very thing that you're not in control is the fact that you're breathing, you know, and I, I have to always come back to the breath. <laughs> like every breath is like, oh, God's saying yes to this moment. So let me say yes to him. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Attentive Heart Podcast. We hope that you were able to find it helpful in your spiritual journey and practice. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Sunday to Sunday Productions and The Witness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and share.